This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Central Station. The use of computers in classrooms seems to be an endless question or dilemma, opportunity and source of success and frustration. What was once new and special now seems to be ubiquitous, at least in most situations. But are students actually using computers effectively in classrooms? Nicola Johnson is an Associate Professor of Education at Edith Cowan University in Perth, who has spent some time studying this very question. I was really keen to find out more about this concept, but as we started talking, I found I was equally as keen to know about her next research projects, which focus on why we so quickly go for our mobile devices when our social situations get a little awkward. University and only just um, commenced in October 2018. So I'm um, in the midst of establishing new projects with new colleagues um, and hoping to um, sort of push the boundaries a little bit and look at interdisciplinary um, collaborations. So one of the um, projects I'm looking at is uh, the use of smartphones by um, young people. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, yeah, that's it. How much time have you got? Certainly <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very um, notable topic. And um, previously my work has been um, around internet addiction and critiquing what that means and whether it exists and rather than just accepting that just because um, uh, we use the internet a lot that it's a bad thing. Um, but I've been looking at how... Um, Technology, um, you know, the apps that um, are on smartphones and the way that technology, um, technological programs are designed to sort of hook you in and make you keep using them, how that means that some people um, and young people and adults of all ages are just sort of compelled to pick up the phone and yeah. check it. Um, and so one of the things I'm, I've been theorising is that um, when you're in a room and you're uncomfortable or you're unsure of the rules of the game, you pick up your phone and pretend to be so busy and preoccupied and, you know, important <laughs> because you've got something to look at. And it's kind of like a preferred um, moment that you have when you um, are gazing at your phone. So th- there's that kind of work where I'm lo- looking to explore what, what they're actually doing and why people pick up their phones in preference to what's really going on. Wow. Um, but then also I'm looking at um, with a group of psychologists and um, health promotion researchers um, and physical activity researchers, uh, what is the effects on on, on um, sedentary behaviour and physical activity and sleep quality? So that's a new project that we are hoping to get um, funding for. So why is it that students may not be using computers as effectively as we'd hoped? And how do we fix that? If you look in most classes today, there'll be no shortage of computers. Surely students must be using them effectively. I start by asking Nicola about an article she wrote for The Conversation. Well, 
the article that I came across, which has sparked this conversation, I think I might have just answered my own question by your explanation of what you're currently working on, because the article is titled, uh, Schools are asking students to bring digital devices to class, but are they actually being used? And it's referring mainly to computers. Maybe they're bored with their computers because they're looking at their smartphones. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I mean, some some teachers will say that, 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 that um, uh, teenagers view their smartphone as a toy, as a, um, a leisure, as entertainment um, and um, a way to communicate with their friends. And then others will say, well, smartphones have got the capacity. When I mean, they've got huge capacity, they're far more powerful than computers used to be, um, got the capacity to be an effective um, device within um, classrooms. However, um, the research we um, did with, um, with colleagues from Monash University um, found that um, savvy, high t- savvy high schools have found that um, smartphones uh, aren't so effectively used in classrooms and their bring-your-own-device policies tend to say, if they've got any clues, they'll say, okay, no, you need to have these specifications. It needs to be a laptop or a tablet or iPad, et cetera, and it needs to have this capacity. And so that everybody has... So the teachers know what they're working with um, and that they know that they can connect to the network and they know they've got the practical capabilities to run this software and that app and, um, you know, connection ability mm. and that sort of thing. So you know, all those practicalities need to be taken into consideration. I love the fact that your article references uh, the Kevin Rudd years and uh, the affectionately named, which which brought a smile to my face. And I thought, I wonder if that speech is actually around. And and so I looked for it on YouTube, and sure enough, there it was. And there's, there's Kevin Rudd emphatically uh, declaring that he will provide laptops uh, or computers for years 9 to 12 students. Uh, I would assume that after a, after a fairly short while, people would have started to see the problems. And I was in that situation myself because I was in the classroom back in those days. And one of the first things that the IT people said to me is, well, the computers arrived, but the PowerPoints haven't. And we've got nowhere to, <laughs> we've got nowhere to plug them in. We don't have enough PowerPoints in the school. Did, looking back, did, did you ever see or feel that there was a perception that this was going to fail before it began? Look, I, I, um, where, where was I? I was, I was in Wollongong. Um, I was working in, at the university, but I had no con- – I, I mainly taught in primary um, – Education, so I don't have any first-hand experience of what was going on. Um, I do, I th- yeah. It's all very well to say, okay, um, we're going to have a digital education revolution, and so, and then we're going to um, give you all these resources, and that's going to make education better. And I think p- people have been fairly um, dubious about that. Um, ever that kind of thinking ever going to work? And if you think of um, People in the classroom who have been around 20, 30 years, um, they've seen the hype around new things and, um, you know, this is going to change the way we teach and this is going to revolutionise education. And basically classrooms are pretty much the same as they, you know, ever once were, even before we had um, computers. Yeah, so um, one of the issues that seems to come up uh, fairly frequently, and even today, uh, is is that issue of how good is the computer and what can it do? What does it have on it that, that I need in order for those things to be able to do? And so you've got this divide between those people who have computers who are very capable and those people who just have a computer, 
as, as in there's a computer, a computer sitting in front of me, it should be able to do things. But again, from my own experience in the classroom, there were things that I tried to do with students that were just not possible because their computers just didn't have the capacity. Is, so is, is capacity a good place to start any sort of debate? How do we try to solve that problem? Well, I think um, many um, schools now specify the, the capacity requirements that devices must have because there certainly was inequality going on where you get somebody who had a very cheap um, $250 notebook with little capacity compared to somebody who had got a $3,000 MacBook. Um, mm. And then, of course, you've got the diverse uh, <laughs> operating systems and um, you know, there's also that kind of that kind of issue, um, and so the the thing that um, irks me is that um, teachers just don't automatically know how to use technology, regardless of what device it is. They just don't automatically know how to use it well pedagogically. Right. Um, and the enthusiasts and the the people who are um, uh, keen to try out new things because they see that they believe in the importance of it. They believe in the capacity and the opportunities. They will tend to, um, you know, give it a go and work it out and iron out all the problems. Um, and and that then that you know you learn from your success and you learn from your failures. Um, but it takes a tech enthusiast to sort of bring about successful pedagogy which then they can share so it's essential that in a, in a school you've got a ed tech champion uh, who will lead change and support their colleagues and furthermore if you want tech to be successful in your classroom I think as a teacher you've also got to be willing to take on the role of being the, the technical fix-it person because yeah you can't just rely uh, a lot of schools don't employ um, tech support staff. They just can't afford it. And so mm. she needs to be that ability to solve the technical problems. So coming back to your comment on the pedagogy there, there's something I'm very curious about uh, is the, the, the concept of uh, any sort of evidence with with respect to device-increased performance, if I can put it as technically as that or as crudely as that. How do we go about measuring that i mean where where are we at with that these days is is there do we have enough history now to know that yes it's making a huge difference and yes it's it was it's been a very positive influence or is it is it is it a fairly flat sort of thing i think yeah flat is a good way to describe it oh no i don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any evidence to say that devices increase educational performance and i had a i had a per, um, person who was on a um, primary school board here in Western Australia, and, and he asked me the same question. And I said, I, I don't think there is any evidence. Um, and the other problem with all of this is that when you've got your high school um, high stakes testing, you know, for your Victorian Certificate of Education or your New South Wales one or your WA one, um, to, you know, in order to successfully get a good um, uh, eight, um, entry score to university, um, most of the testing is done via pen and paper. You're not allowed to use a laptop. Yeah. And so teachers are in a bind here that they might see the capacity and the potential. But if, if in a maths um, exam, the device, A, you're not allowed to use it, and B, it doesn't have the capacity to do the um, mathematical symbols required, well, then it's it's the, the devices are a dud, aren't they? <laughs> 
Yes. So is, is this kind of the the massive elephant in the room where we say, okay, well, we've just spent, uh, let's well, let's go back to 2007 when, when Kevin Rudd made that de- declaration. Uh, is, is this the point where we turn around and say, well, we've just spent the better part of 12 years and a lot of money and, well, it's not that much better. Is that is that the giant elephant in the room? <laughs> yes, it's a very big giant elephant. Yes, a huge one. Um, look, a lot of people look. I mean, the thing is that you've got now you've got the new digital technologies curriculum, which is mandating across Australia that um, coding is taught and coding yeah. and programming, and that's even taught at a primary classroom in mm-hmm. a primary level. And I've seen firsthand how. Well, that can be done um, at a, a local school, primary school I'm, I'm working with. So as as these children, young children, get older and they are, you know, very familiar with Minecraft, which gives you your basic programming skills, mm. and Scratch Junior, which is very user friendly. Um, you know, I've got a six year old who's playing around with those those things, and I, I think she's going to have more of an affinity to be doing all of that. You know. Um, you know, she may in fact become a computer programmer, and it seems they're wanting people to do that kind of thing, and um, especially in the advent of the focus on cybersecurity. Um, so I, I think that from the from the ground up, there will be um, incremental changes. But the thing that I'm interested in is, well, one of the many things is that um, when you have children exposed to smartphones and um, tablets and laptops and the internet from a very young age, um, and then the schooling systems don't sort of mesh with that kind of same sort of similar experience, well, then what, what will actually happen? Indeed, what will actually happen? Coming up, I speak with Nicola about why it's taking so long to get convincing evidence of computer effectiveness in classrooms. Is the lag the lag we had to have? And do teachers really have the skills to effectively manage a one-to-one device program in their classrooms? So stay with us. To hear about an interesting approach that one school is taking with their students with respect to leaving the computers behind for a while, well-being and being present in the moment, Check out my discussion with Greg Robinson, head of students in the senior school at Hunter Valley Grammar School. Turns out that practicing mindfulness is producing significant results. And I suppose that would make you very present in the moment too. And that's the whole aim. It's being present in the moment. The, the students, um, after one of the sessions, a number of them were going off to a debate that they were actually quite worried about. And they said the difference it made to them to, they did the session where they focused on the breathing um, and they were very still and, uh, and just focused on their body at, the, at that time. The difference that that made to them, they said, was incredible. The, the anxiety dissipated and they felt really focused and they were ready to, to go into the debate. And that was from the 17th of June, 2019. Perhaps the uh, perhaps the lag hasn't been the elephant in the room, but it's been more of the lag we had to have. So, is it possible that the whole digital ev- education revolution started perhaps I don't know if I can put it this way a little bit early, and then things like Minecraft came out, which means that we're only starting to see this benefit after that after that first decade of struggle. Mm. 
Well, I think you've got to say that um, Kevin Rudd was was visionary to a certain point. Um, but yes, the the thing is though, there are still schools who will implement a bring your own device program, and even in um, primary schools, which is a little bit alarming, when they don't have the infrastructure, they don't haven't considered the practicalities, they haven't thought about how do teachers have teachers got any idea of how to manage a one-to-one ratio mm. of a you know, device program in their, in their classroom. Um, there are some teachers, uh, some schools who will employ a specialist ICT person to teach the digital technologies curriculum. But then you've also got the ICT general capability of the national curriculum, which means that ICT is meant to be taught um, the, the skills of ICT are meant to be taught as part of each learning area. But then you've got states like Victoria who haven't adopted it as part of their Victorian curriculum. They've just chosen to leave that whole general capability out of their program. So you mentioned before that there was a, a primary school that you were working with where some things, some really good things are happening. Can you, can you describe what that actually looks like when things seem to be going well? A lot comes down to the passion of this particular teacher and her um, enthusiasm and the, she has a high technical knowledge. She manages most of the, the school's network, um, as I understand it. Um, so, and she's teaching teaching them knowledge and skills about, you know, the, the ins and outs of networks and how, you know, lands and how things operate, um, how, what coding means, what pixels are. And um, these kids are getting the chance that they're getting, they've got the resources to each have a go and complete an activity each time they go into that that special classroom. Um, And so that's quite an innovation um, with with that school. Um, But then you'll, you'll get other schools that say, that are pretty much haven't done their research and say, okay, well, we expect everybody to bring, um, to buy an iPad and bring that to school. Okay, so then what do the teachers do? If they don't, if they don't, well, first of all, if they don't know how to use an iPad, like, you know, they might be more familiar with the um, other operating systems that, mm. other than Apple. Well, then they're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, what apps do the students have? Does everybody have the same app? There are very different standards in the capacity of iPads that you can buy. Mm. Um, what happens if they, if if the, for instance, if this device is a school owned and they kept at school, then the ICT facilitator can make sure that they're all operating at a similar capacity. They've all got the apps that work, and in fact, there's programs where you can. Um, bring all the apps, bring all the devices together, and you can control them and make sure that they've all. You can, you know, with one click, you can make sure that they've all got the same app, that they're all, they can all be locked into the same app, that kind of thing. Whereas if you've got home-owned devices that are bringing you bring into school, then you've got issues of okay, a have they brought them? B are they charged? Yeah. C have they brought their charger? D yeah, is there any place to charge them? Yeah, the powerpoints. <laughs> yeah, powerpoints. Um, uh, what happens if they break them? And I've, I've been in schools where the parents can't afford to fix them, so the kids are working with this broken screen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that's yeah. always that's always going to be part of the problem. But it sounds like the uh, the example that you were giving with that uh, very switched on teacher is is partly about, if I can put it this way, creating a, a compelling environment and a compelling reason to actually use the device. And I guess that requires a certain level of creativity and uh, and enthusiasm. And and you and you did talk about that. And coming back to the the initial question of students are being asked to have computers in class, but are they actually using them? Perhaps we're just not thinking well enough. I'm not, I wouldn't suggest that we're not thinking hard enough, but perhaps we're just not thinking well enough about the things that they could potentially do. So your research observed students who were uh, quiet and seemed to be focused on their computers, but it wasn't about their learning. Did you get a chance to actually talk to those students? Yeah, I um, did a, a few focus groups with, with students and um, the experiences were different um, depending on what kind of what kind of class they were in. So if you have if you were with a teacher who um, relied on the devices and used them every day and, and you know um, supported their use, encouraged their use, and um, the experience of the students was very different to um, the, the teacher who um, forgot about the devices or um, didn't use them very often and, you know, kids and parents get frustrated when a device goes to school and it doesn't get even come out of their bag. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is that just because a, a teacher uses devices a lot in their classroom doesn't necessarily mean that there's good teaching going on. No, that's right. But there are there are subjects, or sorry, learning areas or curriculum areas that are more conducive to um teachers and students using them. So, for instance, if you take the humanities and social sciences, history and geography, all the inquiry learning and the, the exploration and finding out answers and that kind of stuff is very useful. Um, so devices and the internet and the possibilities are, you know, exponential. The, the, the fact that you can look at the Louvre Museum on, on you know Google Earth and yeah. um, you know go into libraries and art places and all that sort of thing. Now, if you're doing a health and physical education lesson, um, don't you want the kids to actually be doing something physical? You know, physical mm. activity. You don't necessarily want them to be using a device. However, a d- devices have been shown to be very useful for recording skills and getting um, children and um, adults to actually view what they're doing so that they can improve, you know, whatever it is, like a th- ball throwing skill or, or whatever. Um, if you're looking at visual arts, there's a certain, just you know, very good justification for not having a device, you know, for mm. actually use, you, l- developing those fine motor skills. And so not everything is conducive to um, having, having a device and, and using it. Um, and, there's something to be said for actually writing things down and the, the muscle memory that occurs when you take notes and, um, you know, and compose writing and that sort of thing. And then again, if you've got, um, you have to write a year 12 exam um, and it's an essay and you're not allowed a laptop, well, then there's no point practicing on your laptop, is there? So- no. No, that, see, I think that's a very interesting uh, concept because. I was just having a, com- a conversation yesterday with someone at Edutech 2019 in Sydney about handwriting, and I said, "Look, it's it's been my experience, uh, both as a teacher and as a parent. I have an eight-year-old son that boys in primary school, when they get introduced to writing, and then largely throughout lower high school, they don't like writing. 
um, yet they're going to have to write. And I remember when I was doing my HSC, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to be able to plan out how much I can physically write with my hands in the time available. That's going to be the maximum length of my answer. And those things haven't changed in 30 years. So, mm. I, I, you know, there's, I think there's definitely still room for a lot of that uh, manual kind of uh, involvement, as you were suggesting. So if parents, as, you know, as, as I'm suggesting, myself included, if we're going to be uh, concerned about how this plays out, what's the best way that parents can get involved? What are some practical ways that, that parents can uh, allay some of their fears? Um, I think it's it's about having a having a balance um, and you know encouraging um, uh, children to write um, and like for, my husband has a different philosophy. He's like, well, there's no point. You don't need to worry about learning to do cursive writing because no one does cursive writing anymore. Um, but I wondered whether you know calligraphy and that kind of um, art form will become something that is a sort of a bespoke. Um, unique thing because people are just sort of doing the the bare minimum that they need to do um, for um, your your basic tasks. I think there's there's a, been a reluctance um, for people to um, move into digital assessment, mm. but I think that if that does change and the, the states agree to in, embrace digital assessment, then I think there will be a shift away from um, handwriting and that's that sort of thing. Um, you know, the fact that they've, they've had map plan with the years three, five, seven, and nine, a lot of the online option that has, um, that's, a, that's a change, um, a move towards um, the digital. Mm. There's a lot of people now who very rarely would write anything um, on down. You know, even if you're, um, uh, uh, someone says, oh, 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 I heard this um this, there was this really great movie. Um, they'll write it down on their on their um, smartphone or yeah. like type it in, or they'll take a photo of it. Um, and so yeah, taking notes and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, most most um, university students um, won't write handwrite anything. Oh wow! They, really? Um, yeah, they'll take notes. They're, they're quite motivated to take notes on their um, computers or phones, or they'll just take a picture of whatever's been. Oh put wow! Up. Gee, I feel old-fashioned because <laughs> I've, I've attended a few lectures and workshops recently and I've always pulled out my favourite uh, blue ballpoint pen. <laughs> oh, right. No, you're out of touch. <laughs> well, people look at me and they say, oh, that's a bit strange. And I say, what do you mean? This is my special pen. <laughs> well, Nicola, it sounds like uh, it sounds like this field of research just will have, well, I guess all fields of research are, are never-ending, but this one particularly challenging because we are talking about the future of uh the future of our children's education. Um, I wish you uh, all the best with that, but it's been great to talk with you this afternoon about those things. I'm very curious to to hear about, uh, in, perhaps down the track, this research that you're about to conduct with, with iPhones and smartphones. I just think that to me is like a, a, a black hole that one can get easily sucked into. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Um, there's so many things that will you know, possibly come out of it. You know, the increase of um, trolling in particular which is, um, you know, got more dimensions than just cyberbullying, um, the damage that, that that occurs, and the fact that we actually need time to be and and not have have a digitized moment and be mediatized all the time. I think that's really important to consider, and so that's what I I encourage parents to um, do do that themselves, 
and to do that, ask their, get their kids to recognise the benefits of just being alive and being in the moment. Well, it's been great to talk with you this afternoon, uh, Nicola. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Colin. You've been listening to Central Station. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. For more information about our other guests and episodes, make sure you visit the website, central.com.au slash podcast. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you.